Good morning. Hope everybody's doing okay. Had a good week last week. So far, you're having a good week because this is the beginning of the week, right? And if you're not, I mean, you're just a couple hours into it. So we'll be praying for you if you're not. But nonetheless, I hope you're having a good day so far. A um, <clears throat> couple of things. First, tonight we're having a business meeting at 5.30. There's some things we need to discuss. And right after that business meeting, it won't be a long business meeting, at least on my part. You might make it longer. But nonetheless, <laughs> that okay. So uh, we're, we're having a finger food fellowship right after. So bring your finger food. We're going to have it in this building right over here, the white building, uh, building C. And uh, the business meeting will also be in there as well. So come on out at 530. As soon as we're done with that business meeting, we're going to eat and fellowship a little while. So looking forward to that. Uh, yesterday, <clears throat> a group of, of us went to Welcome Baptist Church, which is the revitalization church that we're doing. And uh, we cleaned it out. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. And, and we got all of that done. And now we are going to the next phase. And so we're going to start... Um, doing some upgrades to the building. There's some things that needs to, needs to happen to it. So the next thing that we're doing is we're tearing down a wall, and then we're rebuilding that wall. The reason I bring that up is there's some of you that asked me when that happens, you, you wanted to be a part of that. So what we need is we need a person to be over that project, the tearing down of the wall and the building up of the wall. And then we need uh, some people to help with that. So that would be framing, uh, sheetrock, mudding, and uh, we'll, we'll get painters after that, so you don't, it's not required for you to paint. But um, if you'd like to be a part of that, just let me know after the service, and we're going to develop a team to get that done at the church. Okay, good. Um, I uh, ran across some news articles this week <clears throat> I thought were interesting, and uh, here's the first one. It said, spike in Major League home runs tied to climate change. <laughs> and this is a legitimate article. I actually read through it, and I can't get that time back in my life um, that I wasted there. But I thought it was interesting that this guy that said this, there's a very clear physical me mechanism at play in which warmer temperatures reduce the density of air... And baseball is a game of ballistics. <laughs> I feel like I made up that word. And and battled ball is and a batted ball is going to fly farther on a warm day. That, just never knew that, did you? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I started looking at my life and obviously that's the reason I'm not a good baseball player. Right? When I hit it, I'm not hitting it in cold enough weather so that it would warm enough. I'm sorry, I went the wrong way there. No, warm enough, thank you. Warm enough weather. That's what I'm doing. I'm playing it when it's too cold, right? That's what I'm doing. All right, here's the next one. <clears throat> People who leave parties without saying goodbye save up to two days per year. <laughs> two days per year. Yeah. Thank you. I, I'm with you on this, right? <clears throat> My wife, however, uh, she likes to say goodbye a lot. I feel like I'd, I save a month a year when we're out. Um, she is very relational. She's more relational than I am, and she's taught me a lot. 
But um, I realized that if you're going to leave a place in 45 minutes, you need to start 45 minutes earlier and say, it's about time to go. And then she's able to say her goodbyes to everybody because, you know, it might be the last time that we see those people, which is dreary anyway, right? But nonetheless, yeah, people who leave parties without saying goodbye save up to do two days per year. I, yeah, if it was up to me, I'd just peace out and be gone. Yeah, let's get to where I need to go, you know. Because aren't, I, I know a lot of you aren't this way, but I'm this way. When I'm done, I'm done. How many of you, when you're done at a place, you're just done? You're absolutely done. It's just time to go to the next place, yeah. Yeah, so that, that's me. That's why you marry somebody that's opposite. That's, that shows you somebody opposite, so that's good. All right. Well, um, I've been talking to several family members. There's reasons for this. But um, about what it was like to live a hundred years ago. Have you ever thought about this? Like what it would be like to live about a hundred years ago? And what was there that they were adjusting to? And then how does that translate to what we're doing today? Like today, we, we have certain things. We have phones in our pocket. They did not have phones in their pocket. Um, we have cars. All of us in here are, have cars. Um, there's certain things that are different 100 years ago. So in 1923, it was when people were actually starting to purchase cars. So they didn't have them like we had them today. And there was a lot of horses and buggies and horse travel in that particular regard. And they were transitioning from horse and buggy to driving a vehicle. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking out of your house and there's a dirt road and you have a car that you crank like like this, right? And then you get inside of it and it only goes 30 some miles per hour. Well, for some of you, your car goes only 35 miles per hour. I just, I just kidding. <laughs> that would be fast, wouldn't it? And so there were some paved roads, but not really paved roads like they are today that developed a little bit later. And so they were driving this. And can you imagine People learning to drive when they're older. They've never driven. Nobody has ever driven at all. And for the very first time, these people are getting in a vehicle and they're learning to drive that particular car. Can you imagine that? That's bizarre. Like all of us in here. Well, maybe some of you are sitting beside people you think need to still learn to drive. Maybe that's it. But, but the concept of a vehicle, and I'm going to get into it, and I'm going to drive. And then I started to think in 1923, who was the first person to have a wreck? Like, who is that person? We don't have that name written down. I would love to know who that was. Because whoever that was started, like, modern insurance, right? So people are going to hit you because not everybody can drive. Not everybody can do this. So they're driving these cars. They're trying to learn to drive these cars. It's a brand new thing. A parallel to that, and I'm not making fun of her, is my mom has finally learned how to use her smartphone. She's, she's 80-some 80, 80 years old. I'm not going to tell you the last part of that, but she's 80-some years old, and she's actually started, and she uses a stylus to do it. Not her finger, but a stylus to do it. So she runs up and down, but she's finally learned how to use her, her cell phone, her, her little smartphone. She's been in the making of this for about five years. And uh, I saw her this week, and man, she was just going through her phone like nobody's business, right? Because she has learned how to do that. And you translate that to driving a car, how long did it take these people to actually 
learned to drive these vehicles. Did you know back in 1923, nobody really had refrigerators in their houses? And they started selling refrigerators. In fact, in 1923 was the first time frozen food was introduced into the world. It was the first time food had ever been frozen. And how many of you have frozen stuff in your freezer right now? All of us in this room, right? And so they were selling refrigerators to people who did not have electricity. (laughs) So you would buy these refrigerators and stock them with ice. This is a real deal until your house got electricity. So you couldn't plug it into the electrical grid. You know, we're, we're all <clears throat> concerned about other types of grid grids. They're concerned about plugging into an electrical grid, right? And so in 1923, things were just totally different. You fast forward to today, and you think about cars, and they say that by, what, 2055, that all cars are supposed to be electric by that point in time? I don't know if you experienced last summer's rolling little brownouts because they'd have to reduce the power because there wasn't enough power to run what we currently have. I have no idea how they're going to do that in the future. 2055, everybody has electric vehicles. How in the world are you going to charge these things? I, for one, love gas engines. That's, that's what I like. But, but how is that even going to exist? Because what we're plugging into is kind of faulty, isn't it? Right? So... <clears throat> Oftentimes, we have our electricity go out, and there's no electricity, and the power is gone because it seems that everything that you can plug into in this world is faulty at some level. True? It's faulty at some level. It will not last at all. I was at Lowe's the other day, and being, being the environmentalist that I am, I noticed that there was a couple of cars that were plugged in, but nobody was in them. So to save the environment, I unplugged them all. I didn't really do that. (laughs) Okay. I thought about it, though. I did. So all that to say this, and this is kind of a review from last week. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me and I in him is he that bears much fruit. There's a plug-in spiritually, isn't there? And if we're plugged into Jesus and his power source, we bear fruit. If we're plugged into anything else, it is faulty power. It is not going to last. There is no way you can get through this life plugged into everything else. You can get through it, but you're going to be bumpy the whole way. It's it's not going to be a power source that will sustain you. But when you're plugged into Jesus, it's going to sustain you your entire life. And that is who we need to be plugged into. And so Jesus continues in this passage, in this John 15 passage, and he says that there's actually dead branches because these branches aren't plugged into the vine that would give them life. And so in this verse in John 15, it says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. So there's branches that are just on the ground that Jesus has to get rid of because they are not plugged into the vine. And my question to you this morning is, what are you plugged into? 
What are you plugged into? Are you actually plugged into Jesus, the one power source that can get you through this life and cause you to have fruit that is abundant and that lasts? Or are you plugged into a bunch of other things that really doesn't last or sustain you at all? So that's what we're going to explore this morning. And with that said, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. See, I don't know about you, but I, don't, I want to make sure that I'm not the individual that's going to be thrown away. Right? I'm going to be the one plugged into the vine that actually does the fruit. That's what, that's what I want to be in my life. So, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19 says this. <clears throat> Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... That's meaning the Bible and what it says. And you do not have to look far to see religious people that have relaxed the teaching of Scripture in order to accept some type of cultural norm. And I don't have to give you examples of this. You see it all around, and it's more than just one thing. It's several things where we take the Scripture and people relax them and they say that they can do this, and they're not keeping the Scripture as faithfully as they should be keeping the Scriptures. You don't have to look far for that. And this is a clear warning. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of God. I've listened to, I've listened to several people talk about this, how, how the Bible, you know, it was... It was written back then, and mankind has evolved into something else. And so the principles back when it was written is not the same principles that we need to live by today because we've evolved to a particular state in humanity. And I'll have to tell you that that is just hogwash. You, you don't reduce what the Bible says just to make it convenient for how you want to live now. You live the Word of God. That's what you plug into now, I, I want to be very clear. This is not legalism. Like, this isn't a requirement that people have placed upon Scripture that says women have to wear certain things and men have to do, dress a certain way and, and you have to listen to this type of music and you have to do this, this, and this, and this, and there's just a list of legalistic type of stuff that has nothing to do with the Scriptures. I'm speaking only about the Word of God, not what man has added to the Word of God. See, what man has added to the Word of God, we can just throw that out the window. That's not, that's not a big deal. But, but when it comes to the Word of God and what the Word of God says is right and wrong, that is what we stick to, and we don't water it down. We don't make it something that it's not supposed to be. We say what it is because what was true 2,000 years ago was true 1,000 years later, and it's true for us today. The Bible is not a trend The Bible is not a trend. 
It's a life-saving word from God that we plug into so that we can bear fruit in this world for the good of mankind and to point Jesus to the Lord Jesus, um, point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do. That's what we do. And it doesn't change. Trends change all the time. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you currently right now in your home have a phone that plugs into the wall, not to charge it, but so that it will work? Several? Okay. Just several people, but not that many. How many of you right now on this campus either have your phone in your car or own your person in this room right now? Yeah, everybody. It's a trend. And we're going to quickly move to a day where there's not a plug-in phone in your home. It's all going to be that way. In fact, I think that we're moving to a day where your phone is right here. I can already make calls right here without having my phone on campus. That is Star Trekky, and I love it. Right? Absolutely love it. So you can do that already. But this even is a trend that will pass away. And you're, you're plugging into all these worldly trends to get life and the next ooh, big thing and stuff. Eventually, that's replaced by something else, which is replaced by something else, which is replaced by something else. It is not sustainable. How many of you today rode in here on a horse and buggy? Nobody. Nobody did. We probably passed some horses on the way here, right? And we passed some places where they have horses and buggies. But everybody in this room, of course, there might be a Tesla in the parking lot, I don't know, rode in to this campus with a gas vehicle. And if it wasn't gas, it was still an engine that was charged the night before so that you could get here. It was an electric engine. That's what you rode in here on. The trend has passed. It has left us behind. And every single trend that man comes up with has a beginning date and a very quick end date. Every single one of them. And you don't want to plug into that and expect you to have fulfillment in your life. You plug into Jesus, and that's the missing part that flows through you to produce fruit where you can really make a difference in this world. And it hasn't changed from 2,000 years ago till now. It is he that can sustain you through anything that this world throws at you. And so you don't go by the trends of just relaxing this. You keep it. And you keep it strong. And you make it a part of your life. And you live according to the word of the scriptures. That's what we do. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That means it might be hard to keep them right now, but you will be rewarded for keeping them in eternity. And that is worth it. Absolutely worth it. So what's the next one? Well, turn to chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. 
Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. A dead branch, a branch that needs to be taken apart, practices righteousness in front of people and doesn't have a life change on the inside. And there are people that call themselves Christians that do a lot of Christian-y sort of stuff, and they look like Christians, but on the inside, they are not Christians. They're do just doing it to show. It's to show that they're good people, to show that they're good people. And so there's also, though, I'll have to just take this one step further. There, there's also Christians that really have a relationship with Jesus, and for some reason in their life, they've just decided to start showing uh, kind of a fake Christianity rather than a real one. And so they, they do certain things to follow Christian trends. Did you know that Christians have trends? Right? Christians have trends. <clears throat> you may like modern worship style. You may like traditional worship style. You may like southern gospel uh, style of worship. All of that is a trend. It's all trendy. It's what it is. What really matters when it comes to worship isn't the style that you're doing. It's if you are worshiping in your house when you're all by yourself. Have you ever had moments where you just sing? Where you just sing to Jesus and nobody's in the house? And some of you in this room have great voices. Some of you know that you don't have great voices. But have you, have, you, have you ever had a moment regardless where you're in, in your house and you're like, man, I really need to hear this song and you play the song and you sing it anyway, whether you have a good voice or not, and you really get into it in the privacy of your home. That's the real deal. That's the real deal. That means that you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you will praise him anytime. You'll praise him in private and you'll praise him in public. It's all the same to you. But if we're so attached to like, it's got to be this way and it's got to look this way and it's got to this, that, and the other, then chances are you're creating a facade in your Christian walk and it's not real. And see, the vine is real. It's real. You can't see it, but you know it's there. You can't see it, but you can plug into it. This is real. And it seems like the most real things, especially spiritually, are the things that are unseen, not the things that are seen. And so we tap into the things that are not seen. And some people just put up a facade that they're good Christians, and, and they're just not. On the inside, there's no heart change that matches that. And there has to be a heart change. You are either a trendy Christian or a real Christian. There's no in-between. You can't be trendy some and then not trendy. You know, it's either you have a relationship with Jesus or you don't. And so it says here, practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. And then it gives an example. Jesus gives an example. <clears throat> Verse 2. Thus... When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your, your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So here he's saying, <clears throat> it might become trendy to give to people, and it might become trendy for you to announce really loudly that you have given to the needy and that you help someone. He's saying, don't do that. That is just putting on a facade. When you give to people that are needy, you do it privately, as privately as possible. Don't do it out in the open. Here's how we often do this in a very public sort of way. Does anybody have a phone? Because I didn't bring mine. Anybody have a phone? Oh, got it. <clears throat> Thank you. Your phone is my phone. <laughs> yeah, this is what we do. Sometimes people, they're in a soup kitchen. And the person's more worried about what they look like than the people behind them. It, you, they're so focused, like, on I need to look good in this picture. Are you tracking with me? It's not a report to the church that this is what we do. It's not that. It's, yeah, look what we're doing. We're, we're feeding the hungry, right? Right? Jesus says, don't do it that way. Oh, watch me pay for this person's order at Food Lion. You know? And the phone's here, or somebody over here is holding the phone. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, look at this person. They're paying for that person's... I've seen videos like this. They're paying for that person's groceries. Look, we're not fooled. We know you know them. We know you set this whole thing up. This is... Come on. We know the difference. Jesus says that that... You already have your reward here on earth. And here's your reward. You count the likes that you got from that video, and that's it. But if you do it in secret, there's a greater reward in heaven for you. We do not give to show off. We give because we care for people. And when we give, we give quietly. This week... <clears throat> And I, honestly, it's a blessing to know some of this stuff. I cannot tell you who it is. I can't tell you what happened. I can't tell you any of that. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is, this week, there was a person in our church that saw someone in need, and they met that need. None of you know who it is. None of you know, really, what happened in that particular regard. It was kept quiet. Don't know who it is. Don't know who the other person is, nothing like that. But they gave to the benevolence fund of the church to meet someone else's need over here that needed whatever it was that they needed. It was all quiet. The only people that knew were the people that needed to know. There are people here that have to write the checks, right? So they have to know. I have to know. This small group of people knew, and the gift was given. And let me tell you, their reward is not me announcing their name in this room. We're going to keep it quiet because they have an amazing award in heaven one day because of the gift that they gave to the needy person. That's how this works. So 
you can get your thrill off of everybody knowing that you're, you know, all that and a bag of barbecue potato chips. But when you get up to heaven, there's not going to be any chips and no barbecue and nothing said about what you did because your reward was here on earth. And the fleeting moment of just going through a bag of barbecue potato chips that has more air in it than it does chips is all that you got. That's something, isn't it? So you see someone in need, you do it secretly. But Philip, what happens if there's somebody in the church? They're, they're having issues with their medical bills. And we as a church just decide to come together and give toward their medical bills. Well, we keep it within the family. We don't run an article in the newspaper and get our pictures made to show everything that we're doing right, for this individual so that our church will be propped up. We don't do it that way. What we do is we say, look, so-and-so has a medical need and we need people to kind of give to the benevolence fund and all the funds is going to go toward their medical need and that is what happens and we keep it within the family and we don't tell anybody else. We just keep it within the family. That's how that works. So yeah, you keep it as private as you can, but it's always private because to not have it kept private, is to receive a reward here. Actually, to not keep it private means you did it for yourself and not for them. Can I just say that? You did it for yourself and not for them. So just keep it private. Do things for other people without blasting a trumpet and telling everybody else how great you are because of what you did for someone else. That's the teaching of him. So what else is there? Well, Chapter 6, verse 16, this is not <clears throat> really a, this is really not a, like what Baptists like to do. In verse 16 it says, and when you fast, it's not something Baptists like to do, fasting. That means lack of food, right? It's not running. Okay, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So first I want to let you know that God... Jesus does expect his church people, his people to fast from time to time. It says, when you fast. He's not saying don't fast. He's saying when you fast. Now, I'm not going to tell you what fasting is biblically. We're going to have a, a Bible study either this Wednesday or next Wednesday about fasting and what that means biblically. But the point here is, if you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do and tell everybody that you're fasting for something. So, some questions come to mind when Jesus says this. Well, what about the Old Testament when the whole nation fast, fasted? Remember, they put on sackcloth and ashes and everybody knew that they were fasting, like the book of Esther, other places like that. Or how about when Jesus went to fast? Everybody knows that Jesus fasted, right? Or maybe in the book of Acts where the whole church fasted for something. Well, that's a little bit different. That's when, the, that's when all the people of God agrees to do it for a particular period of time. This is talking about private fasting. When you decide to fast because you have a need for something, don't let other people know that you're fasting. Don't look like you're fasting. Don't look like you're fasting. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, that your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? The next one's found in chapter 7 of Matthew. It begins with verse 21. <clears throat> it 
And here's what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I've told you this before. I will tell you this again. That is the scariest group of words in all of Scripture. It's absolutely the scariest group of words. Most of the time when I read this, I make sure that I'm saved. I do not believe that you lose your salvation, so I don't want you to think that. But when I read these words, I'm like, I am just going to make extra, extra, extra sure that I'm saved. I repent of my sins, ask Jesus to be my Savior. And I even tell you, if I've done it before, that's fine. But Lord, it is too important for me not to do this at this moment. It is very scary to think that people are going to be saying, Lord, Lord, when they meet Jesus Christ one day, and Jesus is going to look at them and say, I, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. There's something that just scares me about it, that concerns me about that. And it's not only for myself, it's for other people as well. So it continues, uh, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven... On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oh. I've had, time to, I've had some time to spend with my family this week. <clears throat> my mom, my dad, my sister, my, just my relatives on that side of the family. And uh, my mom was talking about the church that she grew up in when she was a kid. And uh, when she was a teenager, um, there was a revival speaker. And he walked down from the steps from during the invitation and walked up to a group of about 15 of them and said, Okay, guys, when are y'all going to join the church? And so they got up out of their seats and they came up. And on that Sunday morning, they joined the church. And my mom, in that witness, told us as a family that she wasn't saved, but she joined the church. And immediately after she joined the church, they put her and, and all those kids working in children's ministry, teaching kids, and she started playing the piano. Because mom's really good at playing the piano. So is my Uncle Buck. They're just a musical family. So she started playing the piano. So she's doing works at the church... In Jesus' name. There were some of those, she said, some of those that joined the choir. And so they're over here singing in the choir. Because back then, you know, they had choirs. And this church faced this way. It tells you what kind of church it was. So they faced this way and they sang. These people were singing the hymns of the faith, saying, Lord Jesus, how great is our God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. They were singing those words in church and they were not saved. They were saying, Lord, Lord, we did all this stuff in your name. We taught in your name. We played music in your name. We sang in your name. We did all this stuff in your name. And if they had made it to heaven with... Oh, thank you. If they had made it to heaven without receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior, Jesus would have said, I've never known you. And they would have gone to hell. My mom met Jesus Christ because my dad, and it's not because it's a Baptist church, was going to a Baptist church, and she heard the gospel, and she responded to the gospel. 
It is not church membership that saves you. It is a relationship with Jesus. It's when you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and ask him to be your savior that you become a child of God and you actually can plug your life into the vine. Nothing else counts. And there's going to be people that are dead branches that think that they're on the vine one day in heaven before Jesus. Lord, 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 Lord. And he's going to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. And if you are sitting in this room, and maybe you got saved because it was trendy. Maybe one Sunday a couple of your friends got saved, so you just thought it was a good, a good idea to do, and you just went forward and you did that. And you know in your heart you were just doing it because they were doing it. You're not saved today, and you need to be saved today. You need to go back to that time and say this, I know I went forward with all my friends, but in this moment... I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior because I do not want Jesus to say, I don't know you. I don't know you. You might be sitting here thinking, but there's people in this room that knows my experience. I mean, I, I came forward with my friends. I was baptized with my friends. I was, you know, all this kind of stuff with my friends. I mean, what is the people in the church going to think? I'm going to tell you what they are going to think, and it's very simple. Yeah! They're going to be so excited. They don't care. They don't care. What they care about is that you decided today to make that decision before this church, before Jesus Christ to start a relationship with him. And it's a real thing that you sat there and said, I'm a dead branch. I want to be a live branch. I'm a branch that's not plugged into the vine, but I want to be plugged into Jesus. I need him to save me. I need to be saved. And in this moment, you decide to say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my savior. And you make it known to everybody here that your original one was not the right one, but the second one definitely is. You do not, you know, you will not survive if your belief in Christianity is just a trendy thing. You will only survive and make it to heaven in front of Jesus being one of his own people if you really have a relationship with him. Now, I wish, and I've been thinking about this a long time, I wish I could describe what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. I wish I could describe that. I, I can't. It, it is so deep in my soul and in my spirit that I can't adequately des describe to you what that relationship actually is. But I know it's in there. I know it's a relationship inside of me. I just can't tell you that. I can tell you my relationship with Nicole. I can tell you the ins and outs of it, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the stuff where we're together, the stuff where we're apart, what she does, what I do. I know her very well. I can describe that relationship very well. It is very difficult for me to describe the relationship I have with Jesus because it is so deep and so personal and so solid inside my soul. It filled a void that I couldn't describe before I was saved, and I can't describe it's feeling after I'm saved. Now, believers in this room, you know what I'm talking about, right? You can describe it to a certain point, but words are not adequate to really describe the relationship that you have with Jesus if you really have a relationship with Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the difference between having Jesus and not having him. 
I can guarantee you in this room, you know right now if Jesus is in your heart. You know it. You might not be able to describe how you know it, but you know it. You know that he's there. And if you're sitting in this room, you also know if Jesus isn't in your heart and you're just putting on a front. You know that. And the lesson from the text is very simple. If you are the latter and you know that you do not have Jesus in your life today, today is the day that you accept him as your savior and you quit being trendy with your Christianity and you actually make it a real thing that you plug into. Amen? That's what you do. Um, I started with the global warming thing. And this isn't a global warming sermon. But if you were to read that article, it sounds good. Like if you're reading it. Don't judge me. It sounds good. It's well written. It's very believable. I mean, if you did not have your faculties going into it, you would really think that the baseball players, it's not because they've trained, it's not because they've lifted weights, it's not because they've played their entire life, it's not because they're practicing. It's because of some air density thing that's causing them to have more home runs. And you read that article, and because it's printed, there's something about it that's like, man, this, this might be true. I mean, you, it's really well written. It's really well written. And I bring that up to say this. The world's trends are very, very believable. And where there, you, you wouldn't fall for the baseball thing and global warming, you might fall for something else. It's okay to do this sin because it's really not that bad. That's just some biblical religious stuff that just is kind of crazy. Or I can live in this particular lifestyle and be okay as a Christian because the Bible really needed to evolve in its understanding and in the way that it's taught and in the way that we interpret it because humanity has evolved to a greater level of understanding, which is absolutely hogwash. We're still the same people. Still the same people. And so you can really buy into a lot of things, particularly if you have friends that believe them too, and you can buy into all this other stuff, and the world wants you to plug into it. They want you to plug into that particular trendy thing, that particular trendy thought. But don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Make sure you're plugged into the vine and into the commands of Scripture, and stay there. And from that vantage point, you live in the world. That's what a Christian is called to do. When a Christian does that, that is when fruit comes out abundantly, and you actually make a positive difference in this world. So do the work. Stay plugged into the vine, and live for Jesus, and point people to him. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, and thank you for these passages of Scripture. 
Father, I said this in the first service. I'm going to say it again. You know how I am with the people in this room. I just believe that everyone in here has good intentions and they really want to follow you. They really do. I know some of the people in this room very well. And I know how they have served you in secret at times. You know the people in this room that serve and they really don't want to thank you. A public thank you. They really would rather nobody know what they have done for you in service. And I appreciate that. I pray, Father, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that will be something that we all do. That it's not secret in our belief of you, but it is secret in the sense of our service and what we do and trying to point people to you rather than lift ourselves up in everything that we do. So pray that you'll encourage us to keep going down that particular road. That we will not be fake Christians, but real ones. That we won't be fake followers, looking good just to look good. But that you'll help us be the real, authentic deal. So then I end this prayer time with that individual that might be here. I don't know. I don't know. That knows that when they originally received Jesus as their Savior, they really didn't mean it. It was a trend. They were following somebody else. Maybe different reasons like that. Maybe they wanted to make somebody happy. I don't know. But what I'm praying for that individual in this room right now is that in this moment, your Holy Spirit will draw them to Jesus Christ. And they'll have a moment where they ask forgiveness of their sins and ask you to be their Savior. That this will be the moment of their salvation. That the Holy Spirit will help them not be worried about what other people think, but only worried about where their soul is going once they die. That they won't be worried about how people feel about it, but only concerned about how you feel about them. And we know that you love them. So draw them with your Holy Spirit and make it strong. So we ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.